Well, good morning and welcome to Regen. And um, we hope this morning that you blew in safely because, wow, we got out of our car and I was like, that's some pretty crazy wind. I'm from South Dakota and that's crazy for us. So, But we hope that you find yourself interrupted with the love and grace of Jesus this morning as we sing together and hear from the word and just are together. So um, I want to just welcome you if it's your first time here. We're so glad that you're here. Um, you're welcome. You're expected. On your way out, we have um, travel mugs. We'd love for you to take one. Um, if you have been attending for a while or if it's your first time and you'd kind of just like to know what's going on here at Regen, we'd love for you to fill out one of the cards that say, hey, and you'll get our weekly email. Um, we usually do like a little kind of devotional thought about the sermon, and then you just get all the events that are coming up here at Regen, so it's the best way to kind of keep in touch with what we're doing. Um, So we'd invite you to fill that out as well. Um, As some of you know, yesterday was our couples conference. We had about uh, 40 people here for the conference. Um, It was a fun day. There was a lot of learning, but there's some laughter as well. And so I've asked uh, Chris Orr and Warren to come and um, just share a little bit about kind of their experience yesterday, and I realize, I'm sorry, I don't know Warren's last name. (laughs) I was like, Chris and Warren. Arba, okay. So I just asked them to share about 60 seconds about just kind of what they learned or enjoyed or experienced yesterday. So. And Warren just found out about this right now. So literally, so <laughs> I'm just going to let you know that. But I just wanted to share, you know, we were, I guess, I think we both were just kind of a little bit concerned about attending yesterday because we ended up being the only single couple in the room, dating couple. Um, but I didn't feel singled out at all. It was um, really enjoyable. We had fun. It was great to see other couples just communicating together. Bob and PM just had a great message um, from God. And, you know, PM had asked what our takeaway was and asked us to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to kind of um, give us a word. And I actually had two words, and it was natural and intentional. And it wasn't just with my relationship with Warren, but with my children, with my family, with my coworkers, with all of you, and I just, the way that we share God's love um, with each other, that's what I took away from yesterday. Well, I know she'd take longer than 60 seconds, so thank you. (laughs) I say that jokingly. Um, Yeah, it's always good to have refresher courses and everything. Doesn't matter how long you've been married. If you're newlywed, whatever, because all of us have different phases in our marriages. And it's good to have a reminder. It's good to see other people that go through things, that the same things we go through periodically. And uh, I'm grateful for this young lady and the fact that she loves God. And I just go one day at a time. Joey's going to pray for our offering, and then we'll pass the buckets. Hey, guys. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thanks for this sweet little moment right here to um, have a reminder of where our help comes from, where our support is, um, that it's not on money, it's on you um, continually every day that uh, you just show us that you're all that we really need. So God, I just thank you um, that this could just be a moment where you just refresh our being and let us remember that you're where our help comes from in every aspect of life. In Jesus' name, amen. God, so much of our minds are dominated by what we are afraid of. And even as we say that, the things that we fear uh, come to mind. And so, Lord Jesus, I ask uh, that you would speak a better word over us today than our fear does, that you would speak with more clarity, you would speak in a more compelling way, a more loving way than our fear does. 
Lord, we gather here as your sons and daughters, and we want to do that in confidence. So come, Holy Spirit, and speak to us. Guide us into all truth as you promised you would do. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, Kids can go back with Miss Kayla. So off they go. Cool, cool, cool. And Miss Jenna, or is Jenna just deciding to hang out? And, oh, wow, okay. You're fine, Rebecca. Um, We're going to be in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. I liked this. I liked this mic last week, so I'm just, you know, living into it, okay? Luke chapter 10. Next week, by the way, uh, starting a new series called When in Doubt. So if you or someone you know uh, has experienced doubt, it's going to be a good series. We're going to do it all the way up until Easter. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, doubt, or doubt is the ants in the pants of faith. Keeps it alive and moving. By the way, there's going to be... Uh, the, this building, the way the roof is, like the wind hits it and there's this crackling sound that makes you think like the roof is going to get ripped off and we're going to get carried away to Oz. Fear not, all is well. I'm just not being fed. I'm just not being fed. Have you ever heard anybody say that to you? Usually, it's some church-going Christian and they say it after a few years or even a few decades at their local church when they've just hit this spiritual plateau, they say, I'm just not being fed. They're serving, they're in small groups, they may even be in leadership, but they start to get this itch, they get this hunger for more. A few years ago, uh, my first and only response to this idea of I'm not being fed was, are you feeding yourself? My working assumption was something like, You're not feeling like you're being fed. You're feeling hungry because you're only eating on Sunday. Listen, like I get hungry if I've only eaten like breakfast and that's like four hours later. So it would make sense to me that if we're only spiritually eating on Sunday, that you would start to get hungry. Now, this is where practicing the way of Jesus comes in. When we practice the way of Jesus, we take personal responsibility for what God's doing in our lives. This is where that work out your own salvation with fear and trembling idea comes in. That as we practice the spiritual disciplines, we spiritually learn to feed ourselves. That moment when we begin to practice the disciplines on our own is when we get to learn to feed ourselves. But then I I started meeting people a few years ago who were diligently reading their Bible every day, who had a vibrant prayer life, who were eager to serve who would come to me, this was back when Regen would meet on Sunday nights, and they would go to their church in the morning, they would come to our church at night, and they would say, gosh, I really just like the worship here. They would say, the preaching here is really, really good. So they would start coming here because they said, man, I really feel like I'm being fed. And then a few weeks or a few months would go by, and they would just disappear, and on Facebook or through the grapevine, I would figure out that they were at another church. Why did they leave our church? I'm just not being fed. So when folks feel that spiritual hunger, when they they experience this sense of I'm not being fed, they, they tend to move 
from church to church and pastor to pastor and worship team to worship team. We call that church hopping in search of a feeling of spiritual satisfaction. And that's what they're looking for. They're looking for a feeling, a feeling that they experience when they hear a preacher articulate a one-liner in a particularly zingy way or when a worship band uh, really brings a song and brings power to it. But what happens when we go questing after that feeling is we begin to confuse spiritual maturity with that emotion. That the more I feel that tingly feeling and the more often I feel it, the more spiritually mature I am. And you know this feeling. You know this tingly feeling of inspiration when the light bulb goes off above your head and the hair on your arms stands up on end. And we feel that feeling and we get excited. We think this is what it's like to be in touch with God. We think finally I'm being fed. This pastor, this church, this one's the real deal until, of course, we get hungry again and look for greener pastures. My question, I guess, is where does this sense of spiritual hunger come from? How exactly do we satisfy it? The spiritual hunger, this dissatisfaction, I'm beginning to suspect, comes with spiritual boredom and stalled out discipleship. Because we were promised radical transformation through radical disciple to Jesus. We were promised a powerful experience of the Holy Spirit. We were promised an experience of the kingdom of God right here, right now, that would transform us and our families and our neighborhoods and our communities and our world. And when we don't get that, we assume that we need to go deeper, that we need more Bible teaching, that we need more insights, that we need more theology, that we need more curriculum. And those things are good. We need these things. But I've met followers of Jesus who know their Bibles backwards and forwards, who can run circles around me theologically, who still experience this hunger, who still say, I'm just not being fed. Because what we're hungering for is not more curriculum or more biblical insight, not a really good worship team or a particularly tweetable one-liner. What we're hungry for is radical discipleship and apprenticeship to Jesus. And we only find that with Jesus when we join him on mission in the gospel, when we join him on mission. The only thing that will satisfy that hunger that you are going to experience, Kyle, your preaching is so good. I'll never experience that here. Liar, you will. As long, you, you will because you will come to a point where you're just not feeling fed. And your eyes will begin to rove to the church down the street for the next thrill. But you're not going to get it down there. The only way you're going to get it in any church anywhere is if we join Jesus on mission, if we join Jesus in discipleship, in practicing the way. And practicing the way and apprenticeship and discipleship always, always includes multiplication. It always does. Listen to what Jesus has to say. He says, my nourishment, how does Jesus stay spiritually satisfied? Okay, bonus points, he's God, so cool for you. But he's also human. In his humanity, how does Jesus stay spiritually satisfied? He says, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You could say this with as much truth about yourself as Jesus did, that your nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent you and from finishing his work, the nourishment we're seeking comes from joining Jesus as apprentices to his mission, to seek and to save the lost. That's why Jesus came. The nourishment that many Christians start to 
crave but have no way to satisfy is that joining Jesus on mission. Now, before we go anywhere else, what if I don't experience that hunger, you ask? It's a good question. We have this problem in our house, or did, because we've stopped where Steph would meal plan. Okay, Monday we're going to have this. Tuesday we're going to have this. Wednesday we're going to have this. Monday would come around. The meal plan says we're having. And I would go, just doesn't sound super good. All right, well, tomorrow we're supposed to eat this. I don't know. Just doesn't sound super good. Wednesday. Well, Wednesday we're supposed to have this, right? I don't just want to, like, go Chipotle, right? So um, you do this too. So if the nourishment we're looking for comes from joining Jesus on mission and being with him in that part of apprenticeship, what happens if I'm not hungry for that? A couple things. First of all, some of you are really new to Jesus. Our church has actually grown a lot in the last couple weeks. And you're thinking, like, I've gone to church, like, three weeks in a row. Like, I'm super into Jesus, right? And, and that's awesome. Um, and now I'm talking to you about, like, sharing your faith and evangelism. And you're thinking, okay, this is getting, like, way too real, way too fast, right? Like, Kyle, flirt with me a little bit before you make out with me. You know what I mean? And, and, and this, this series has been pretty high challenge, right? Vision, intention, means, uh, world, flesh, devil. Now I'm talking about, like, go and share your faith with your friends. And to you I say, here's the deal. What you're experiencing right now is profoundly personal. It's true. Okay? It's profoundly personal. It was never meant to be private. It was profoundly personal. It was never meant to be private. So we're going to kind of highlight that growing edge a little bit today. Some of you are hearing this. It's a yet another, you've been a Christian a long time. It's like yet another sermon on sharing your faith, which if you're a Christian is like your least favorite sermon ever because you've tried and it's just not working. You've talked to your friends. You've talked to your kids. You've talked to your cousins. You've talked to your family. And and you're sowing the seeds and you're trying to have these conversations, but there's just discouragement there. There's just discouragement there because I keep trying. It's not really going anywhere. Paul says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Okay? It is very easy to try a little bit and give up too quickly. Uh, Paul, 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Right? Let's not grow weary. And some of you, I said this, by the way, last campus, and it's just as true here, you're really into this club you've joined, and if other people come, they might mess it up a little bit. Um, There are always sticking points in churches when they grow from 35 to 70, and then 70, 75 to about 150, and that's where we are right now. We moved from 35 to 70 when we moved from the evenings to the mornings, and there was an anxiety in all of us, me included, like, it's going to get bigger, and I don't know if I like that right? We're going to have to have two services, and that's going to mean working more, and and then I'm not going to see everybody, and we just want to be all happy and together, Kyle, and they're going to have needs, and that's going to take your attention away from me, and they're going to have preferences, and what if their preferences win? We're not a club, we're a movement. We're not a club, we're a movement. What I'm saying this morning is that practicing the way of Jesus necessarily and inescapably involves apprenticing ourselves to Jesus's mission to seeking and saving the lost. Not paying our staff to do it. Not sending missionaries far away to do it for us. But us doing it. Apprenticing ourselves to that mission. Jesus says the last thing, Bob and Pam brought this up yesterday. The last thing that Jesus says to his friends before he leaves this, this earth is, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. He says, and look, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. He says, go. That doesn't mean one out of ten of you go. It says, as you are going, that's the meaning of that, the tense of the verb, go. As you are going through your ordinary life, go and be a part of making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Now, when Jesus tells his friends, go, this would have reminded them about an earlier experience that they had with Jesus, and it's recorded in Luke chapter 10. Jesus tells his disciples there, I'm going to send you on a little missions trip. I'm going to send you out. And you're going to come back and we're going to talk about it. That, that's what any good master does with his apprentices. If you are a apprentice baker, if you're learning how to bake, your, your master is going to send you, the head baker is going to send you off to go make some bread. And then they're going to come and say, let's talk about everything that you did wrong. And let's talk about what you did right and how we can make that better next time. And that's what Jesus does. Luke chapter 10, he sends them out. A little time goes by. They come back and they talk with Jesus about how this worked. Jesus, in Luke chapter 10, says, go. He sends 72 of his apprentices out on this missions trip. If you've got a Bible, look with me at Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. It says, after this, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag or knapsack or sandals and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, he will return to you. It will return to you. The peace will return. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Don't go from house to house. Verse 8, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Now, if you've been hanging around Regen for a while, this is the third time in 16 months that I've taught this text. And it's really, I just had like a really busy week, and I thought, you know, like, let's just use some old content, it'll be fine. No. Uh, We've grown a little bit, so some of you are hearing this for the first time. And in the words of somebody else in leadership, never overestimate a person's ability to forget things, right? So repetition is the mother of learning. So I want, there's a principle and some practice in Luke chapter 10 that I want to become a normal part of our community and just the way that you're thinking. Like, if you're going to be part of Regen, I want you to be able to say, I know what a person of peace is. This is what they look like, and this is how I'm, like, involving myself in their life. Like, super simple, right? Um, I want us to figure that out way before we figure out other stuff like, I don't know, church membership. Like, let's figure that part out first. And the other reason I'm bringing this up, and this is actually Zach Byler wisdom, was our denomination, the United Methodist Church, they're out doing this meeting, um, which I just got to tell you. I don't know if you noticed. There was, um, there's a sign that's usually on this part of the building that has the cross and flame that the wind, like, tore off and broke in half. If you, it's under the awning on you where you walk out. And it's, like, broken in half, and I'm like, is that, like, a prophetic act? Like, is that what's happening to the denomination? So 
you know, they're getting together to talk about the way forward to the denomination. And what I'm saying to us is this is our way forward. Okay. What's happening in this text is our way forward. We'll, they'll do their thing. We'll figure it out. And then, but this right here is irrevocable to who we are. This is us, right? Uh, this is us. NBC, 7 p.m. on Tuesdays. Um, uh, we like that show so much here that I preached a whole sermon series on it. It's on the website. It's, it, was, it was fun. Um, so three things that Jesus says in this text about apprenticing ourselves to this seeking and saving the lost, this mission of his. Jesus has a mission. We're a part of it. We're missionaries. Uh, how, there's three things I want to highlight this morning, and the first is that missionary work is prayerful. Missionary work is prayerful. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So stop there and notice where Jesus locates the scarcity. Jesus does not say, we have way too many workers and not enough harvests. So how about we just pick one out of 10 people to be a professional Christian and everybody else watches? He says, no, no, no. We don't have enough people and we have too much wheat to harvest. So we need to get more people out there, okay? And so he says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Now, uh, so the scarcity is not in terms of the work to do. It's the workers to accomplish it. Also notice that he says, pray earnestly. Now, the New Testament, if you don't know this, is written in something called Koine Greek. It is a dead form of Greek. Now, usually my joke here is, the word says pray earnest. It's, my, it's like one of my original dad jokes, right? A dad joke before I was a dad was, I looked up the word pray earnestly, and you know what it means in Greek? Pray earnestly. And everybody goes, ha, 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 even though I do it like every three weeks. Um, but here's the deal. I looked up the word pray earnestly, and there's a couple different words for prayer in the New Testament. This word is the word diomai, and it means to beg, to implore, or to entreat. Jesus says, when it comes to this work of joining me and apprenticing yourself to my mission, we want to be praying earnestly. Here's what praying earnestly is not. A few seconds here and there when it happens to cross my mind. Now, Jesus is saying, I want you to think of the people that are far from me in your life, your siblings, your kids, your grandkids, um, your kids' boyfriends, your kids' girlfriends, your nieces, your nephews, your friends, your friends from college, your friends from high school that you bump into in places, and I want you to pray earnestly. I want you to beg. I want you to implore. I want you to entreat. God is saying, would you please, church, get all up in my face about this? He's saying, I want you to pray in a way that shakes heaven about this. Not defeated prayers. Here's how we really pray about this. Lord, would you please maybe just open their eyes a little bit so that we might, I've been doing a lot of this hand motion today. We'll figure that out why. It was a lot last time too. Um, we hedge, we, we in prayer hedge our bets because we're afraid to, to throw ourselves on the mercy of God that he might do something miraculous in the lives of people around us. And he is saying, do not hedge your bets. Do not like just might maybe if your way around this, go into my throne room and shake heaven by praying, like bring in front of me the people far from Jesus that I would interrupt their lives with my, their, with my love and grace. That's what he's asking us for. And instead what we do is like, I don't know, they can do their thing and I'll do mine. That's stupid. Missionary work is prayerful. Shake heaven with that. Second thing is missionary work is vulnerable. Let me tell you why this is good news. 
I think education is important. Um, I'm on year 10 of biblical higher education. And what that, the problem with having what we would call an educated clergy class, which is a relatively new thing in the church, the problem with having an educated clergy class is it makes us think that unless we're as smart as can be, we can't join the work of the kingdom. But Jesus says, if you feel vulnerable and ill-equipped and unprepared, good news, you're in good company. Good news, that's just the way I want you to go. Uh, He says, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. He's saying, go in need to the people around you. If you feel vulnerable, if you feel powerless, that's good, but you can't, that's what we, that's what stops us from talking about Jesus with our friends is when we feel powerless, when we feel like we lack the expertise, when we feel like we don't know enough or we're not smart enough or not equipped enough, what we settle for is, well, I'm just sowing seeds into their life. And that's great. That's a first Corinthians principle. However, I feel like about three quarters of Christians that tell me I'm just sowing seeds into the life of my kids and into my friends. That is Christian code for I'm feeling really defeated and discouraged in this area and have given up trying. Jesus says, go vulnerably. It's good. Look at, um, and, here, and here's why going vulnerably is good. Here's why not being the smartest person or the mega intelligent person is good. Because going vulnerably means we're relying not on ourselves or our own power, but on the power of God. Paul literally says this one phrase, I think about it all the time, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to me. So if you've got a Bible, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Flip over, keep your finger in Luke 10, but 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, the people next to you are judging you. It's fine. Okay. Paul says, Paul, mega Christian, super smart, probably seriously one of the smartest people to ever walk the earth, says, when I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan, for I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus, the one who was crucified. I, and then check this out, verse three, you should underline it if you got your own Bible. Heck, underline it in the one in front of you, it'll be fine. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. Uh, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in the, in the power, in, that you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. See, here's the reality. I'm really smart, and I, I can talk some people into something. But somebody a lot smarter than me is going to come along after me and talk them out of it. So it can't be about me dancing like arguments around a person to convince them into something. It's got to be the work of the Holy Spirit and his power that brings change to a person's life. And, and so you don't need to be smart. You don't need to be intelligent. Although these things are good. Learning apologetics is good. Learning theology is excellent. I'm never, ever going to argue for a non-intellectual faith, said the guy that preaches for 35 to 40 minutes a weekend. But don't let our emphasis on learning and growing trick you into thinking that until I'm really smart, until I attain, I can't be used. Because look at um, Acts chapter 4. Flip back to Acts chapter 4. Oh, Lord Jesus. Okay, we're making a mess. Okay, Acts chapter 4. Peter and John, two people that Jesus heavily invested in, before religious authorities, and uh, they're like, what the heck are you guys doing? You're causing all this trouble, and we don't like it. And so Peter and John, Peter especially, stands up full of the Holy Spirit and gives an explanation for their ministry and why they've been doing what they've been doing. 
Look at chapter 4, verse 13. After Peter gives the speech, it says, The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. So here's the thing I've been thinking a lot about lately. The early church was not a Bible-based church. They had the Old Testament. They were reading it. They were seeing Jesus in its pages. But nobody in the early church had a copy of the Bible at home. They only heard what was read to them. And they, pro- and they had, because they were an oral culture, uh, uh, an unusual ability to remember what they heard spoken, they didn't re- need to prove themselves by knowing this book backwards and forwards. In fact, what they relied on to give them courage and boldness and spiritual maturity was an organic and ongoing walk with Jesus. That's where their power came from. Not that they knew this book back and forth. Not that they were super educated. Where their power and boldness comes from is that they had been with Jesus. Friends, like this is good news. Like You don't need to be smart You don't need to be smarter than Zach Byler. Like, you don't need to be, like, super sweet. You don't need to be super giving. You don't need to be super, like, you you just need to to be with Jesus. And that gives you all of the authority and all of the power that you need to be talking to your friends about Jesus. As long as, notice, as long as we're doing what Paul did, I decided to forget everything except Christ and him crucified. Right? Jesus doesn't need the most smart person or the most intelligent or the best looking in fact, the best-looking people in Scripture actually have a bit of a problem, um, which, you know, is somebody ridiculously good-looking, and I find that frustrating. Um, no, what, what God uses are the most available people. Most people that God uses are the guys that weren't really doing anything else. Where's King David? Oh, he's just, you know, shepherding sheep somewhere. Oh, he doesn't have anything better to do. He can be king. Uh, what's Moses doing? Shepherding sheep on the far side of the desert. That sounds boring. I'm going to be a burning bush and talk to him and have him go save my people. All right. Missionary work is prayerful and it is vulnerable. And it is watchful. It's watchful. Guys, let's all remember February 24th, 2019, your three-point semi rhymy sermon for the year. Done. Jesus teaches his prayerful, vulnerable friends to go to people's homes and declare peace over it. He says this. He says, whenever you enter a house, say, peace be to this house. This is a Jewish thing. It was the Jewish law that you, if you were a Jew, could go to any town. If you're an Israelite, you go to any town, find the Israelite living there and say shalom. And they had to, like, put you up for the night, right? Don't try that at my house. If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. Aaron came and said, Shalom, he could stay. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. If not, it will return to you. And, in the, and then remain in the house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Don't go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Jesus sends his friends out looking for sons and daughters of peace. He sends them looking out for people of peace. What is a person of peace? What is a people of peace? A person of peace is someone in whom God is working already. People, a person of peace is someone in whom God is working ahead of time to prepare them to receive the gospel. We find as leadership that the people of peace concept 
is not that sticky. So that's also why we keep kind of bringing it up. By the way, just had coffee with somebody recently who was a person of peace who has had radical transformation in their life over the last six months. This is why I'm all about the Bible. This is why I'm all about the people of peace strategy because it, it works. Okay? It works. This is the way that God has ordained us to participate. So there's these people in your life that God is working ahead of time, and here's how you recognize them. Listen, welcome, serve. Listen, welcome, serve. So first... They listen to your message. When you talk about church, when you talk about spiritual things, they display interest. You have coworkers and family members that are always kind of coming after you for advice. Like you, you have a family get-together and like a niece or a nephew or a cousin grabs you and just talks to you about your, their life. Listen. They welcome. You got a niece or a nephew, you got a friend, they keep inviting you over their house. Right? Go. Keep inviting you to their house, go. Eat whatever is set before you. That's the sucky part. Because, like, if they're a really bad cook, Jesus says, well, eat it. Well, they welcome you into their life. They welcome you into their home. And they seek to serve you. If you have a neighbor who, before you can get out to plow your driveway, has already done it. If you've got, like, somebody that when you go out to coffee with them, they say, let me buy this. When you take them out to dinner, they say, let me get dinner. Don't do the Northeast Ohio. No, 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 no. It's not, it's not a no unless you say it 17 times, right? No, 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 you know. You let them. It's part of being vulnerable. Um, let me tell you a little bit about this. You, a couple things that I have learned through much failure, okay, is a person of peace is, the difference between a person of peace and a nice guy or a nice gal is the difference between do they show all three of these signs or just one or two of them. So we... Uh, went to our high school reunion, went to my high school reunion. I prayed, Lord, help us to meet one person of peace tonight, okay? So we go. One of my classmates offers to buy me a glass of wine. Yes, your pastor drinks. I'm sorry if that disturbs you. It's just the way it is. Um, we can argue about it later. He offered to buy me a glass of wine. We were at a winery. And I, what did I do? Do you know what I did? I said, no, 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 no. I did. Stupid, stupid Kyle. So I buy this glass of wine, da, 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 da. But we're seeing some openness there. They're renovating their house and some stuff. So we have them over for dinner. And they, they bring a bottle of wine. They bring dessert. And they give us a gift card to Nova, which is the sixth and most important love language. Nova Coffee Company. And, uh, and I'm like, okay, they're not welcoming us in their home, but they're welcoming into their life. However, on the listening front, big strikeout. Like, I'm a pastor, okay? I'm a professional Christian. Like, you asked me what I did today, and inevitably, we're going to find our way near something spiritual, hopefully, if it wasn't like a budget day, right? And, um, and if I would talk about work, if I would talk when we would navigate towards spiritual things, zero interest, none. And we kept kind of pursuing them because we were like, these are people of peace, these are people of peace. They weren't. Do you know why? They, they welcomed and served, but they did not listen. And so I texted them. I was like, you are dirty sinners and I hate you. Goodbye. No. I did, I did what we do with all other relationships. You kind of just let it do a slow fade, right? And we, we run into them around town. We see them. If they said, hey, let's get dinner, we would say, absolutely. Because I don't know if in the intervening time since then to now, they've become people of peace. But for right now, they're not. It's okay. Another thing I've learned um, pretty well is that just because someone is not a person of peace to me doesn't mean that they're not a person of peace to somebody else. 
This is why Jesus, actually in this text, we don't talk about this too much today, but this is why he sends them out two by two, right? Because there have been some people that I'm like trying to move toward. It's like knocking on, like it's nothing. We're not going anywhere. But my wife walks in and they just blossom and open up to her, right? Which is also partly her, right? The day comes that Steph and Kyle move on, like everybody will weep and gnash their teeth that, well, really that Jack's leaving and then that Steph is leaving and then, then they'll be like, oh, I mean, you can go to me, right? Um, Dan, you're laughing. There was too much laughter in the back row, okay? Too much. Uh, but so just because, it, so you want to, just because you don't sense that there's a person of peace, who can you bring with you into that relationship? This is why we sent you out two by two. You don't need to be married to be two by two. Um, the other thing I've learned, yes, is if someone asks to serve you, you let them, even if it makes you feel embarrassed. Even if it makes you feel embarrassed, you let them serve you because that's part of what's going vulnerable. Don't, don't, don't do the no, 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 no. Seriously, this is, this is the hardest part of the people of peace thing for me because I'm just stupid. I don't know why. But they'll be like, hey, let me buy your lunch. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, Kyle, there's just like a person. I'll go home. I'll realize it after it's done. I'll call my wife and I'll go, honey, they tried to buy my lunch and I didn't let them. She'll go, babe. I go, I know. I don't like perfect, not a perfect example, living example. What we want to do is be looking for people who listen, welcome it, and serve. And here's why I love this. Because a lot of the sermons I heard about sharing my faith growing up were, here's how you awkwardly turn the conversation to Jesus. Look at that beautiful sunrise. Jesus made that and he loves you, right? Waitress comes, waitress comes. Do you want some water? Did you know Jesus is the living water? That's my favorite. That's my favorite, right? I will give you $5 if you give me video evidence of you doing that at a restaurant this week, okay? I will give you $25 if that person is like, I didn't know that, tell me more, okay, right? Because uh, here I am. Uh, and some people do just have like a gift for this too. Um, we have friends, Rick and Brigetta. Rick's preached here before. They'll do this thing when they go out to eat, like, hey, we're going to pray. Can we pray for you? And there's the waitress, like, spilling everything in her life. I did that once, and the, and the waitress, like, mm, like walked away. <laughs> like, um, so you got to kind of be sensitive to that. But this is something I love because it's not about awkwardly turning the conversation or forcing it. It's, it's where's God already at work, and let, let me join you. John 4, he says, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. He says, others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Here's what's fun. I'm just showing up where Jesus asked me to show up, end of story. And the labor's already been done. Somebody's already been working on it. So here's, here's your practice for this week. If you can identify a person of peace, some of you are right now saying, oh, listen, welcome, sir. That's my neighbor. That's my cousin. That's my niece. Stay with them. Don't go anywhere. Invite them over for a meal. Go out to coffee. If you're at a family gathering this afternoon, because it's Trumbull County, what do we do? We hang out with family. And like a niece or a nephew or a cousin, like you find that like they're having this conversation, like they're, they're drawing you into conversation about something in their life. Don't go anywhere. And then like text them this week and ask them about how that thing was going and then invite them over. Stick with them. Don't move on. Stay. If you cannot, if you cannot identify a person of peace, first of all, welcome to the club. Uh, we're discipling some people through this, and about four out of the six of them are like, yeah, I don't know if I have a person of peace right now. It's okay. So what we do is we pray, Luke 10.3, right? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, send out workers into the harvest field. 
right? So we pray that God would guide us into the harvest field that he has intended us for. By the way, pro tip, if you can't identify a person of peace, that doesn't mean don't pray about it. I would encourage, I, I have an alarm set on my phone that I haven't turned on since my baby came, I'm just realizing, that goes off at 10.03, Luke 10.3, pray for people of peace. You are always going to be in the middle of something that makes it very inconvenient for that alarm to go off. Deal with it. Just letting you know. Jesus says, my nourishment comes from doing the work. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You're going to come to a point where you find yourself saying, I'm spiritually hungry. I'm just not being fed. And in the words of John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Movement of Churches, the meat is on the streets. The meat is on the streets. Spiritually hungry, and you're like doing the disciplines, the meat is on the streets. The meat is in those conversations where you're watching live action, slow-mo, a person come to know Jesus personally and in front of you. Powerful. Okay. Let's go have some communion and get out of here. Lord God, I mean, you've called us to this huge adventure And right now we're thinking about time and we're thinking about awkwardness and we're thinking about all sorts of things. We're thinking about speaking of meat, that we're really hungry, which is 1215. Lord Jesus, would you come and nourish us with yourself today? At this table that you've given us, would you nourish us with yourself? Lord, would you strengthen our intentions where we are prone to discouragement, where we are prone to disillusionment, where we are prone to just buy the culture's lie, you do you. And instead, would you give us a vision and a heart like you have? Which of you, who has a hundred sheep, would not leave the 99 to go find the one that is lost? That's you, that's your heart. You came for us, and now we go after others. And we're thankful. We're thankful to be part of your family, that you call us to grow, that we have the great treasure and honor of pointing people to you, that we can look people in the eye who are experiencing transformation. They have tears in their eyes, and we get to be a part of that. We're so thankful. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We love that song because it's a really good song of this is who God is, and so this is what... This is what it looks like for us to orient our life around him. So may you go in love to those around you, remembering that your boldness comes from nothing else than being with Jesus. Love you. Peace. We'll see you next time.